It was 1994 and Nine Inch Nails released an album called Downward Spiral. And one of the songs on that album was the song Jeremy and the band just played. It's a song called Hurt. Uh, Trent Reznor is the lead singer for Nine Inch Nails. And whenever he's asked about the name, how do you come up with the name for the band, he always says it's basically just a fluke. They were looking for a good name for a heavy metal rock band and thought Nine Inch Nails kind of fit the bill. Also, it was easy to abbreviate. And so that's all there is to it, he says. But if you look closely at some of the lyrics that Trent Reznor writes for the songs for this band, it's no wonder a lot of people think that maybe Nine Inch Nails is a reference to the crucifixion of Jesus. And then when you look at the logo, Trent Reznor came up with this logo for Nine Inch Nails. It actually looks pretty similar to the Old Testament word for God in the Hebrew language, Yahweh. You start to see some uh, similarities there. So it's, it's interesting to think what's going on, what's he trying to communicate with some of these songs that he writes and that his band performs. Uh, in 2002, a music producer named Rick Rubin brought this song and introduced it to country music legend Johnny Cash. And when Johnny Cash heard the song, he listened to it repeatedly, said he listened to it about a hundred times in a row and decided he wanted to do, to do a cover of this Nine Inch Nails song, Hurt. And if you've never seen the video for it, I'd encourage you to go to YouTube and look up the video for Johnny Cash doing Hurt. It's, it's filled with Christian imagery. It's this hauntingly beautiful and powerful song of regret and pain and death, but I think ultimately... It's a song of hope. It's a song of hope. The final lyrics of the song is everyone's kind of building. It's this cry, if I could start again, a million miles from here, I would keep myself. I would find a way. Maybe you have been coming to church for a long time. It's just part of your regular rhythm. Maybe you are brand new to church, exploring the things of faith, trying to figure out who is this Jesus guy, wondering, do you have anything in common with church people? Well, here's one thing all of us in this room have in common. We all have something in our life, or many things in our life, that we wish we could have a do-over. We wish we could start again. And the good news is it's never too late for any of us to start again. It's never too late to start again. One of the reasons I'm a pastor is I believe when people start following Jesus and exploring his claims and shaping their life around what Jesus believes and, and how he lives his life, things start to change here and now, absolutely, but also things start to change for eternity. And so if you are a person who is at a place in your life in a relationship or, or different circumstances and you're like, it's, it's time to start again, one of the questions we have to ask is, well, where do we start? If we're going to start again, we, we want to start in the right place, right? So here's where we want to start today. Exodus chapter 34. Our theme for the year at Hope is to know and to be known. How do we get to know God better? How do we get to know one another better in, in helpful ways that build healthy relationships? Here's a guy named Moses, and he's trying to get to know God. And God's wanting Moses to know, here's the starting place, what you need to know about me. My Old Testament professor uh, in seminary said, this is like God's bumper sticker. It shows up here in Exodus 34, but it also shows up repeatedly throughout the Old Testament. The writers and God himself wants us to know this is who God is. Yahweh, we see that word again, the name of God, which means I am. I am the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. This is the starting place for what do we believe about God, and it matters. What we believe about God has an impact on the relationships in our life. 
What we believe about God impacts how we relate to people in our family, how we relate to uh, friends, other relationships in our life. What we believe about God impacts how we view ourselves. And how we view ourselves can lead to behaviors that are good or not so good, that are helpful or that are destructive. What is it for you? Where is the starting place for you when you think about God? Is this the starting place? God is full of compassion and mercy and slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. Because a lot of people, a song we just sang, you're a good, good father, perfect in all of your ways. A lot of people, that's not their starting place. When it, God's not loving and good and compassionate and merciful for a lot of people. God is scary and God is filled with anger, filled with wrath. There was a book that came out in 1977 called Bridge to Terabithia. It was a, a children's book. It, it won the Newbery Award for the best children's book of the year. In 2007, Disney turned it into a movie. So I want to show you a clip from this movie. It revolves around the friendship between a boy named Jesse and his friend uh, Leslie. Uh, Jesse and his family, they're a church-going family. And so one day, Jesse decides to invite his friend Leslie, uh, she's never been to church, to join them for worship. And here's what happens. They have a conversation about the experience on the way home from church. Take a look. Where's your starting place with God? Is God merciful and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love? Or is God scary and God loves to send people to hell? And, I mean, how do we have those two kind of realities going on at the same time? Well, they both kind of come from the Bible. And so I thought, this is kind of our, our horror movie weekend. So let's take a look at some of the scary verses in the Bible, verses that might make little kids scared of church, scared of God. So I mentioned, since we have all the kids here, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> More on that later. I mentioned uh, at, at Easter that all of our kids have one-syllable J names for their middle names. So Shaden, our 10-year-old, his middle name is Jude. And so these are the verses that inspired us to give him this name. God destroyed those who did not remain faithful, Shaden. Next verse. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. Isn't that comforting? Doesn't that provide you tremendous hope when you're troubled in life? Not, no, no, not so much. Next verse, verse 7. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. And that whole chapter is kind of filled with the, I mean, maybe when you were just listening to it being read today by Peggy, you're like, what's going on? Well, Jude's not the only writer in the New Testament that uses this kind of language and talks about these kinds of things. Peter, one of the eyewitnesses of the resurrection, one of the leaders of the early church, one of Jesus' closest followers, Peter says similar things. For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell in gloomy pits of darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. And Peter has some words about those cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, as well. Next slide. He made, God made Sodom and Gomorrah an example of what will happen to ungodly people. And so you start to see it's easy why kids might have this idea that God is scary and that God kind of gets excited about throwing naughty people into hell. And Jesus even gets in on the fun. 
Jesus tells a lot of parables in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, stories that Jesus tells trying to make a larger point. One of the parables of Jesus is in Luke 16. It's called the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Not the same Lazarus who is raised from the dead by Jesus in John 11. This Lazarus is a man who is sick. He is poor. He spends most of his life laying at the gate of a rich man, hoping for some help and never getting it. And then Jesus tells the story this way. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. So Lazarus goes to heaven when he dies, and this man, the rich man, says he goes to the place of the dead. And then they have this conversation. They can see each other kind of going on back and forth. And the story goes on to say that the rich man in his torment begs for Lazarus to dip his finger in some water and then let the water drip off his finger onto the rich man's tongue so he can have a little bit of relief. (sighs) Don't you love scripture? And it keeps on going. Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 changes Peter's name to Peter. Remember, Peter was originally named Simon, and then Jesus gives him a new name. I say that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And then there's the Sermon on the Mount. One of the greatest teachings of people who are Christians and also people who are not Christians say this is some of the greatest moral teaching that the world has ever known, where Jesus teaches us what real blessing looks like. Jesus teaches us to turn the other cheek, to love our enemies, teaches us the Lord's Prayer. He also has some things to say about hell in the Sermon on the Mount. These are the words of Jesus. If you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Keep going, verse 29. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. One more verse, verse 30. And if your hand, even your strongest hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Aren't you glad you came to church today? (laughs) Maybe turn to someone close and say, is it just me or is it getting hot in here? So, we mentioned earlier that that we get to these places in our life where we want to start again. Where's the starting point? The Bible is very clear on this. There's a hell. Hell is real. Jesus believes in hell. I want you to know hell is not the starting point. Hell is not the starting point. If you start with your understanding of God and, and your understanding of what does it mean to be a person of faith, if hell is your starting point, it leads you in all kinds of directions that end up getting pretty wonky. And, and distorted understanding. You don't get to know who God actually is. Hell's not the starting point. So I asked Christy Small, she's our children's ministry director, I asked if she would maybe come and, and do an object lesson to help us understand where the best starting place is. And we'd like the kids to come up and help us with this. Uh, you're going to want to come up. She's got an experiment. You can, the kids can just sit across the steps, and I'll sit here with you. Um, Hope Kids typically happens at each of our worship services, but we decided this year, uh, come on up, kids. On the fifth, on, on months where there are five weekends, yeah, just come and sit right on the steps. On the months when there are five weekends, we're going to have Hope Kids here in worship with us, and it'll be, you know, a family-friendly worship service where we talk about hell and that sort of thing. <laughs> I'll double-check the preaching schedule. I'm guessing we're talking about sex next time. It's the fifth weekend. <laughs> so, um, Christy... Yeah, awesome. This is going to be great. 
Christy is going to help remind us what is the starting place when it comes to faith. So, everyone listen to Christy. Hi, you guys. It's great to see you. How are you doing? Good. Is it a perfect morning outside? Oh, no. Okay, so the word for today is perfect. We heard it in our song earlier. What does it mean to be perfect? Who has an answer for me? What does it mean? Yeah. Oh, oh, we're getting to that. Jesus is the one who's perfect. Okay, so what does it mean to be perfect? What do you think? No mistakes. Yeah, no mistakes. We do everything right, okay? Who here is perfect all the time, every single day? No one? Yeah, me either. <laughs> I mess up and I make mistakes. Um, and a lot of times when I do that, it's because I'm thinking more about me and what I want than what others want or what God wants for me. And sometimes when we make mistakes or mess up, that's called sin. All right? And so we're not perfect, but who is perfect? We already heard it. Who's perfect? God and Jesus are perfect, completely. Now, if we want to be in heaven with them, we need to be perfect, but we're not, right? So what does that mean? Oh, well, here's the deal, is that God loved us so much that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. That's a Bible verse from John 3.16. Have you guys heard that verse before? No, some of you? It's a good verse. So again, John 3.16 for God so loved the world is the first part. God loves us. He has perfect love for us no matter what. Isn't that great? Second part is that he sent who to die for us? Who did he send to die for us? Jesus. Yeah, and Jesus died and took our sins away so that we could be perfect. So now we're perfect. But the third part of that verse is just as important. And it says, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God wants us to believe in him, to have a relationship and a connection with him. So we're, I'm going to show you what happens when we don't have a relationship with God um, and we do things on our own and we sin. Okay, you guys see this candle? I'm going to light it. This candle represents our sin, okay? Mistakes that we make that we shouldn't make. And I have this balloon, which is our connection to God, Okay? Let's see what happens when we sin um, with our connection to God, okay? Who can name a sin, something that we do that we probably shouldn't do? Yeah. Don't listen to our moms and dads. Oh, don't listen to our moms and dads. Yeah, because one of the commandments says is honor your father and mother, and that means listening to your parents. Okay, so when we ignore our parents, what's going to happen? What do you think's going to happen? It's going to burn or pop? I don't know. Let's cover our ears just in case. Okay. Here's the sin. We're not listening to our parents. What's going to happen? Woo! What happened to our relationship with God? It broke. Okay. Uh, but that was just one little sin. That was just one. I don't, I don't know. I don't think it'll happen again. So let's do a different sin. Ooh. <laughs> uh, obviously, sinning in general is just not good, right? What happened to our relationship with God there? Oh, it broke, right? Okay. Yeah, we'll get to that. Okay. Can, can you fix my balloon for me? No? Can you fix it? Okay. Can you fix my balloon for me? No? No? I don't think you can make it perfect again. Can you? No? But 
Who did I say makes us perfect? God and Jesus, right. And so I have another balloon here. But this balloon's a little different. Can you tell me what's in this balloon? Water. Yeah, there's water in this balloon. It's a water balloon. You guys hear it? Water balloon. Okay. In the balloon, this is our relationship with God, our connection with God. In the balloon is water, and water represents Jesus. And why Jesus? In John 7, there's a Bible verse that says, whoever has believes in Jesus will have everlasting life and water flowing in them. So we believe in Jesus, right? Yep. And we have this connection. So we have Jesus in us. So even when we sin, if we believe in God and have a relationship with him, what's going to happen? What do you think is going to happen to our balloon? It's going to pop? What do you think? Oh, it'll be overflowing? I don't know. Okay. Let's see what happens to our relationship with God, even when we sin, but we have Jesus in us. Okay? Uh, let's say the sin is we steal something. We take something that isn't ours. Ready? Here we go. What? What's going on? It's, it's not popping. Oh. Oh, here. Let's put it under again. Maybe I didn't have it on there long enough. Oh, let's see. Just gonna burn. Oh yeah, there's a little burn mark. But you know what I can do with that burn mark? I can make. Oh, what did you say? A cross. I made a cross on it, right? Because Jesus takes our sin and forgives us, and we are made perfect again in God. So we have a choice today and throughout our lives. Do we? Do we want to live life on our own and do just what we want to do and ignore others? Or do we want to live with Jesus in us and God in us? Yeah, life is so much better. You guys, you should have done this sermon for me. You have all the answers. Hey, thanks for coming up. All right, you guys can head on back. Thank you, Christy. Thank you, kids. Thank you, God, that we didn't burn anything down. So, again, the point is connection. The starting place is connection. The God who loves us so much sends his son not to condemn the world, but to save the world. So we can have this relationship, so we can have everlasting life. And, and even if we start to get that and believe that, I think sometimes we still find ourselves saying, okay, great, but what's the deal with hell? What about all those verses that, that we looked at earlier? So if we're going to start in the right place, one of the right places to start is making sure we're using the right words, starting with the right words. So you do know that the word hell never actually appears in the Bible, right? There are Hebrew words and Greek words that get translated into English, and sometimes we translate it using the word hell. But in the Old Testament, the primary word is sheol, and more often than not, sheol is translated grave or pit. Grave or pit. Sometimes it gets translated hell, most of the time not. In the New Testament, that verse we looked at where Peter says, even the angels who sinned, who rebelled against God, they're thrown into hell. The word there is Tartarus. And Tartarus comes from Greek mythology. And if I have the story right, it's Zeus and his army who are fighting the Titans. And when Zeus wins, they put the Titans in Tartarus. 
Another word is Hades that we see in the New Testament. When Jesus is talking about the rich man and Lazarus and the rich man goes to the place of the dead, he uses the word Hades is the word Jesus uses. When he gives Peter the name Peter and he says, you're the rock and upon this rock uh, uh, the church will be built and the powers of hell will not be able to conquer it, the word he uses is Hades, again from Greek mythology. Zeus has a couple of brothers. One of them is named Hades, and Hades is also a location. It's the underworld where bad things happen, nasty things happen. Nobody wants to be in Hades. But the word that is used most often by Jesus in the New Testament when talk that gets translated hell is a word called Gehenna. And Gehenna is actually a literal, physical, geographical location in the Holy Land. It's just outside of Jerusalem. It's a valley outside of Jerusalem called Hinnom, and it shows up in multiple stories in the Scripture. One of the places we see Hinnom showing up is in Second Chronicles. There's a king named Ahaz, king of God's people, the nation of Israel, but they've started worshiping the false gods, the idols all around him, and really horrible things are happening. He, King Ahaz, offered sacrifices in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, even sacrificing his own sons in the fire. So Ben-Hinnom is the Hebrew kind of version, and Gehenna is the Greek version of Ben-Hinnom, this valley outside of Jerusalem. He's sacrificing his own sons in the fire. And it's not just King Ahaz. Generation after generation after generation, this despicable practice was going on. And so you understand why this valley would become known as a place of weeping, a place of wailing, where parents are weeping and wailing for their children, or brothers and sisters are weeping and wailing for their siblings. Finally, a king rises up named Josiah who says, we need to start following Yahweh. We need to start following the God who is compassionate and merciful and slow to anger again. And so this king, Josiah, defiled the altar of Topheth in the valley of Hinnom, so no one could ever again use it to sacrifice a son or daughter in the fire as an offering to Molech. Well, what's Molech? Molech's a false god of the nations around Israel. Just like Baal, just like uh, Dagon, they all worship these false gods. Well, why would people think they should sacrifice their children in a fire to a god? Because everybody in that day knew the gods are angry. And, and worship is about appeasing the anger of the gods. And the way we do that is by sacrificing our children. Isn't that ridiculous? But what does Yahweh say? Yahweh says, I'm slow to anger. In contrast to these false gods that you're worshiping and following and doing terrible things for, our God is slow to anger. doesn't ask you to sacrifice your children. Our God willingly sacrifices himself. Shortly after Josiah did this cleansing and, and tearing down of the idols, the valley of Ben-Hinnom or the valley of Gehenna it becomes the garbage dump for the nation of Israel. When's your garbage day? Our garbage day is uh, Tuesdays. And so somebody comes and picks up our garbage that we've collected over the week, and they haul it away to a dump somewhere. And everybody's doing that, and it all piles up. Well, in Jerusalem, it piles up in the Valley of Hinnom, the Valley of Gehenna. And so they start it on fire so that it can go down, but they keep adding more, and so it becomes this eternal fire in this dump, this garbage dump outside in the valley of Gehenna. So it's a place of weeping and wailing and eternal fire. Sometimes the phrase we hear in the Bible is gnashing of teeth, teeth, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. What's that all about? There's a lot of conversation in our day about how do we take care of, how do we care for people with mental illness? Nobody asked that question in Jesus' day. 
You, you just threw people out of city, out of community, if they had mental illness, if they had evil spirits, if they had illness or disease, and they had to learn to fend for themselves. Where would they go looking for food? In the garbage dump. Where would they look for uh, clothing? Where would they look for shelter? In the garbage dump. And what if you got into a fight? There would be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth in this place of eternal fire called Gehenna. Jesus says no one would ever want to spend any time in Gehenna. It's a nasty place that you want to avoid at all costs. So if we're going to start in the right place, we start with a God who's compassionate and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in love. Then we start with the right words. We also have to start with the right interpretation. So how about those passages in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, it's better for you to have one eye or one hand in heaven than to have both eyes and both hands in Gehenna. How are we supposed to interpret that? Well, the right interpretation would start with being a consistent interpretation. So, you heard in announcements, you heard in uh, the Hope 360, we had a new member class last weekend for Hope. Welcomed like 320 new people to the Hope family, 60-some here in Ankeny. Is Jesus saying we should also have dismemberment classes? Every once in a while we should gather the members together and we should all confess our sins and then cut off the parts of our body that we're using in sinful ways? Uh, people, the answer is no. <laughs> the answer is no. Some of you weren't sure. This is why it's so important to start in the right place. Jesus is using hyperbole. He doesn't want anyone to take him literally. That would be re there are religions in the world that do this sort of thing, and we think it's ridiculous, right? We think it's ridiculous. If we're not going to take literally the part at the front of that verse... Why would we take literally the part at the end of the verse where he's talking about Gehenna? We've got to be consistent in our interpretation. The whole verse is hyper... Jesus is wanting us to know there is a way of life that he wants for us, and there's a way of life he wants us to avoid at all costs. How about this passage, this parable in Luke 16, uh, the rich man and Lazarus? The rich man who is in the place of the dead, Hades, he wants Lazarus to be able to drip some water on his tongue, but Abraham says, no, can't do it. Is, is the point of this story, Jesus wants us to understand the details of heaven and hell, that when we're in heaven, we can see into hell, that we can talk to people, but we can't do anything to help them because of this, this gulf between them, this chasm between them. Is that the point? Keep on reading the story, uh, starting in verse 27. Then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. Send Lazarus back to my father's home. For I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned you. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Two weeks ago, we celebrate Easter, the resurrection of Jesus. Someone, not just someone, Son of God, rising from the dead. How do you persuade someone to believe in Jesus? Is this parable a parable where Jesus is trying to get us to believe in hell? Or is this a parable where Jesus is trying to get us to believe in him? You've got the Old Testament prophets. You've got the law of Moses. You've got the record of Scripture. Now you've got Jesus himself. You've got the resurrection 
If that's not enough for you to believe, if that's not enough for you to put your faith in Jesus, then nothing will be enough for you. Not even the threat of eternal torment in a place where no one would ever want to spend a minute. Part of what Jesus is saying in this parable is that the resurrection is a more powerful, persuasive argument than hell. The resurrection is a much more powerful, persuasive argument than hell. Where's the starting place? Have any of you ever been around Christians who like to start with hell? If you die tonight, do you know where you would go? Do you know where you'd spend eternity? Sometimes that's the starting point that people have when they're trying to get people to believe in Jesus. And Jesus says that's not a winning strategy. Trying to scare people into heaven is not a winning strategy. It actually is counterproductive. It, it, instead of causing connection, it causes disconnection. Now people are scared. Now people, don't, now people think we're supposed to have dismemberment services. What are we, I don't want to be a part of this. So maybe there's a reason. Maybe there's a reason. In the New Living Translation of the Bible, the translation of the Bible we use most often when we preach here at Hope, hell shows up 18 times, heaven shows up 913 times. Where's the starting place? Where's the starting place? As simple as I know how to say it, this is what Scripture teaches. There is an eternity. There's an eternity with God that we call heaven, eternity apart from God, separated from God that we call hell. The biblical writers don't seem very interested in giving us a whole lot of details around what what either one of them is like. But they are pretty clear. Heaven is a place where you would want to spend eternity, and hell is a place you would want to avoid at all costs. Or maybe here's a better way to put it. God wants everyone to spend eternity in heaven. God wants everyone to spend eternity in heaven. Do you? Do you want everyone to spend eternity in heaven? I hope that we're the kind of church that actually wants that, desires that. But sometimes, sometimes it's easy for us to get, get to this place where we think we are better than everyone else. Or, or we're jealous of people who go out on Saturday night and they party the night away and they do all sorts of things that are bad and naughty and we find ourselves saying, that's not fair, I, don't, I can't do that. And they're like, well, they'll get what they deserve later on, they'll find out, huh? Where, where's this come from? There was a book written several years ago now called Love Wins. And this guy, Rob Bell, was taking a look at the passages in Scripture that, that talk about hell. And he came to the conclusion that somehow if God is love, love is going to win out in the end. And a lot of people thought he was saying universalism, everyone is saved, there's no such thing as hell. And so a lot of conversation around it, a lot of controversy around it. And there's a pastor in, in Atlanta named Andy Stanley, and I visited his church when I was on sabbatical a couple years ago. He's a pastor, his father is a pastor, Charles Stanley is his name. Uh, my parents listened to Charles Stanley on the radio when I was a kid growing up. And so they were having a conversation about this book, and what do you think? And is there hell? Is there not hell? And this guy seems to be saying there's no hell. What do you think? Charles Stanley asks his son Andy, what do you think? And Andy Stanley's response, I think, is a real important response. He says, I hope he's right. Don't you? I hope he's right, don't you? He, he's not saying he believes there's no hell. But he is saying there's something wrong with our heart if we hope there's a hell. If there are people in our life that we hope are going to hell. God wants everyone to spend eternity in heaven. God doesn't send people to hell. 
God invites us over and over again to follow him. If we say no to that invitation over the course of our life, we continue to say, no, 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 I want life apart from God. God will give us what we're asking for, life apart from him. But that's not God sending someone to hell. That's someone choosing separation, disconnection from God on their own. God doesn't send people to hell. God sends his son, Jesus, and invites us to follow him so that we can know grace because none of us are perfect but God's love is perfect so let's stand and let's sing about that amazing grace and God's perfect love for us